0: Please be seated. You're coming to that time of the service now where we're going to sort of unpack that passage a little bit and more of it. You're like, oh no, we're not going to be here for hours, are we? I hope not. Um, I won't leave you too long before you're back in your nice cosy seats at home with the roaring fire, so don't worry about that. But let us pray, and pray for yourselves as well. Let us pray for us together as we, um, as God speaks to our hearts. So let us pray. Father, we just come before you and ask for you to speak to us lord lord i admit my um, my absolute need for you lord and my dependency on the holy spirit that he will give me the words to say so lord we pray would you speak in the name of jesus amen i'm very mindful to try and shift maybe over this way a little bit because most of you are here aren't you I think when we come to church, don't we, we try to hide as far as we weigh. You don't expect a preacher to start walking towards you, do you? But I, I think I'll wander a little bit anyway. So, um, Really, this, as we look at this passage, I, I want to use it as perhaps a Simon reflection rather than a, a, a systematic theology of the passage. I think you've probably had that a bit, and you probably will continue to have that a bit. So I thought, but considering I've, I've studied this passage a little bit, I thought I would just give you some of my thoughts on it. And here we have a story, really. I come to that one conclusion that we have um, Jacob himself. God is committed, isn't he, to a flawed man. Uh, And that's it. We see this life of... I wouldn't call them a dysfunctional family, would you? You probably think, well, maybe. I would say that they're pretty much a normal family, aren't they? Um, We see from early on, you know, that um, as Rebecca was pregnant she was having the twins. Who is it that tries to come out first? And that's why they named him Jacob. And the word, you know what that means, don't you? Heel catcher, you've probably talked about that, or supplanter. Um, And actually growing up, believe it or not, and we always have this in our families, don't we? Well, most of us do, is there was favoritism at work. We see Rebecca had her favorite, who was well, she got the promise, didn't she, of Abraham that would come and the younger would serve the older. So she was very protective of that, wasn't she, that promise. Uh, so her eyes were on Jacob all the time. And then we see, don't we, we see Esau, that was Isaac's favourite. Why was that Isaac's favourite? I know we've got theologians in it because of his, he loved it. Yeah. Tim noticed the size of my belly was growing <laughs> this evening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, sorry about that. I am on a diet from tomorrow. Yeah, diet starts tomorrow <laughs> um, so we see this favouritism at work and, and because of that we see there's dysfunction there is, there is a bit of dysfunction going on we see Jacob he is the one, I'm not sure to say that he would deceive him into eating his birthright. I think he just asked him didn't he, sell me it and Esau says alright I'm hungry you have it and actually it's Hebrews that blames Esau for hating his birthright rather than blaming Jacob. It says that Esau is unholy because he hated his birthright. And then we see there is one point where Jacob does really deceive his father because he actually dresses up as Esau. And we see that because of this, that sibling rivalry, we see that Esau gets really angry and he wants to kill his brother. And then we see Jacob, don't we, who says, actually, I'm out here. And Rebecca says, look, you need to move to Padamaram and then go and find you know, someone from your family to marry. <clears throat> so you see, Esau then sort of vanishes from the story, doesn't he? But it's not to say that God's not at work in his heart, but the story follows the one whom the promise is going to come, which is Jacob. Uh, so we see, see the life of Jacob through that, don't we? <clears throat> and uh, many of you, or none of you, might know that um, my dissertation was actually on this passage, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, whether it was a mistake or not, but I looked at psychological observations of this passage and then went to the biblical text afterwards. Um, so I looked at—don't please don't crucify me for this—but I looked at psychological studies of families. Who, if you look at, um, there's this one woman called Ellen—I forget her name now. I've written it down here. Dr. Ellen Weber Libby. I don't—you've probably not ever heard of her—but she has a book called *The Favorite Child*. And as you're reading the difference between an unfavored child and a favored child, it's like reading the story of Genesis 32. It's absolutely amazing. So, here, the unfavored child, I've got some stuff written down here. So, because the unfavored child has, has witnessed that sort of rejection, as a sense, because the other child is getting more attention than them, they look for validation in others. Um, And they become very vulnerable because they struggle um, with establishing intimacy. So they put up a defense. I mean, many of us do that, don't we? Because we don't want to get hurt, so we put this defense up. Um, And they develop personalities impacted by underlying anger. And we see that. It says here that that sometimes can come out of their parents, but mostly it's with their sibling who is receiving the favor, you know, who is receiving all the adoration from the parents a as This sounds just like the story, doesn't it? And in growing up, it's easily uh, for them to be ignited with anger and that be inappropriately expressed in their life. We see that, don't we, from Esau. He has this anger because he, he perhaps was the unfavored child and, and Jacob was the favored one. But on the other hand, what about the favored child? Here, Jacob is the one, receive, he's the one who's re- going to receive the promise and his mum dotes on him. All the time, and he has that sense of entitlement, doesn't he? Yeah, you know, I can. I'm the I'm the promised child. My mum loves me. You know, I'm hanging around the tent all the time, and that's a good thing. But they develop this, um, what should I say, manipulation. It really challenges me because I'll explain in a moment. Knowing that what they can get from their parents, having mastered the art of manipulation, that sort of goes on into adult life. Um, so to make them. F- so what they do is that other people they meet they make people feel valued and it's not because they're trying to be nice it's because they're trying to make them valued so they can get what they want uh, it's really interesting that sense of entitlement and here's the other thing they create a false identity and likely to mature without forging their own identities so here i just look at that and i i think of jacob he is what we would call the master manipulator isn't he in some some of the passage anyway you see that later on, where he's putting all the families out and he's trying to get everything in the right place and he's trying to make wheeling dealing with Laban and, you know, he's trying to get the stew, you know, sorry, the birthright from, from his brother. He is the master manipulator. And I think that's one of the things that God wants to work out in his life and, and come, get coaxed out of him to, to, so that he becomes more dependent upon God. And I thought, okay, if you put yourself in that picture, did any of you grow up? In, uh, with, a, with a family that favoured perhaps you or your brother over, over the other one—that's that's a rhetorical question. I'm not asking, not putting you on the spot. But I would say I wouldn't say I was the favourite. Well, I would have said I was the favourite, but I wasn't. It was because I was the one who was loud and obnoxious when my brother was sitting on my father's lap. I would push him off, you know, and I'd be the one cuddling and kissing dad. No, I am the favourite, and I'm sure that had an effect on my brother. And I'm sure that had an effect on me because I found myself in adult life doing the same things, which we read about here. You have that sense of entitlement, so you end up thinking that you can get what you want all the time. And thankfully, God, when I was 35 35 years old, knocked me off my perch and started to restructure my life, a bit like he did with Jacob. So we see here Jacob and Esau They're really, this is, I mean, you may disagree or you may agree with me, but these are just some of the things I reflected on as I was doing my dissertation. So on one hand, you have Jacob. He is the one that has that sense of entitlement, so he ends up trying to do things his own way. And then you have Esau, who um, suffered with rejection, suffered from Jacob being the favoured child, and therefore he got angry when he, When he wasn't loved the way he should be, and that that sort of manifests in the way. And then Jacob gets really, runs away because he thinks Esau's going to kill him. But this story is about okay, you have a dysfunctional family, but God is at work in both of their lives. We see the Jacob story more, brings about this wonderful reconciliation. So much so that we see God in the most unexpected places. Jacob sees the face of God in who? In his brother Esau. That's a wonderful story. It's absolutely um, amazing. So when I further reflect on that, when I read commentaries, when I read other um, books about, uh, about this passage, I think some theologians read things through the eyes of what Jacob's name means. I mean, if I said to you, what does Jacob's name mean, what would you say? The first thing people say is he was a deceiver. That's what it means. Where do we get that from? We get that from Esau. He's the one that makes an assessment of his brother. Because when he obviously he stole his birthright, but then also they robbed his blessing, he says, Isn't he rightly called Jacob? But he's cheated me twice. And that's where we get that from. Now, obviously, Jacob was he did deceive we see that in the tent he lied to his father but I think we give him a bit of a bad press don't we because actually Rebecca and Jacob were trying to protect the covenant that's what they were trying to do so I'm not saying what they were doing was right but they felt that they would have doing things with the right motives and it was actually Isaac was the one who was following tradition by by actually laying hands and blessing the elder but it was actually, um, yeah, so it was Jacob, so here we go. So do we really rightly call him deceiver? On the other hand, if we look earlier in this passage, it says that Esau was a man, a hunter of the open fields. And then it says that Jacob was a quiet man who dwelled in tents. I looked at that word quiet, and in some translations it says mild, do you know it's never interpreted as quiet or mild in every other word that's used every other time it's used in the bible do you know what it it it, the word means it means blameless or upright i thought hold on minute, that doesn't make sense of jacob you can see that's not the case because he read the story but nonetheless that is what that word means blameless or upright and that challenged my thinking i thought oh, hold on a minute Should we really see Jacob as identifying with the badge deceiver? Because actually, as you read through the passage, Jacob's actually quite a nice guy. He's quite a faithful guy. He's a passionate guy. He works hard. He does lots of things. We see in the scripture that he obeyed his parents, whereas Esau ran off and married the Hittites, completely disobeyed his parents and really upset them. Jacob is the one there saying, actually, no, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to wait for a wife from my family. And we see that as the story unfolds. You see that Jacob is the one who works hard for for Rachel. Oh, no, it wasn't Rachel, was it? Leah, he got deceived. So he worked an extra seven years. This guy was hard at work. But not only that, we see this is a guy who quoted the promises of God back to God. You know, this is the guy who said, look, this is God in this place. God is in the camp. This is, a, this is a guy, when he was faced with Esau, who was, who was faced coming with 400 men. I remember um, Cole mentioned last week, didn't he? You Can you imagine if you've upset someone, you haven't seen them for years, and all of a sudden you find out that 400 men are coming with them? I thought that was good. You would be worried, wouldn't you? He's the one who got on his knees and he prayed. Lord, I need your help. Um, so I come to the conclusion, actually, okay, yeah, he might have used deception on occasions, but I don't want to brand him as deceiver. I don't want to give him that badge, deceiver. I want to say this. This is what God showed me, and I mentioned it early that God is committed to a flawed man. He's committed to his covenant, and he's committed to the man who is going to receive those promises. Uh, and that is good news, isn't it? I would say, you know... <laughs> I, I spent some time away um, down at um, Exmoor. Some of you might have seen my Facebook post. <laughs> uh, I got lost on occasions. But actually, that's the one thing I was wrestling with because I was really struggling with all that's going on. And that's what God said to me. Now, I'm committed to you, Simon. I'm committed to you. Don't you need to worry all, the, all these things? God is committed to a flawed man. God is committed to you, Whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, God's committed to you as a church, and that is good news, isn't it? I think. So you don't need to worry. God is for you, not against you. And here you see that, okay, God is committed to Jacob. He's so committed to him, he's reminding him of his promises to him. He's saying, look, I'm going to be with you, Uh, even the angels in this place. Um, But then jacob is the one when he obviously gets the news of esau coming with his 400 men he is there on his knees you'd think he's dependent completely dependent on the lord wouldn't you but there's still something that he has to learn there's still something he has to learn you can see that he's fudging it a little bit isn't he? he's putting all the family out like this way and he's like i'll be at the back you know by the time esau gets to me everything's gonna be all right so god still has something to work out in his life so then what happens In the dark, God shows up, or the angel of the Lord shows up, and he comes and he wrestles with him. And you think about this, this is such a powerful passage because Jacob is the one literally wrestling with God. Now, obviously, God could have overpowered him, but Jacob is the one, he will not give up. He's not going to stop. And, you know, the Lord says, look, you've got to let me go. I'm not, because the daybreak's coming. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then he says these words, doesn't he? What's your name? And here we are. I remember. I should imagine at this point Jacob remembers his brother's word, isn't he rightly called Jacob? Isn't he rightly called the the the, the supplanter? And God says, "No. you're, You're Israel, because you've struggled with humans and with God." I think that's true, isn't it? He's saying, "Look, you're not a product of your past. I'm going to give you a new identity." you are the one who wrestles or struggles with humans and with God and you overcome and that's good news isn't it that God doesn't he doesn't identify us with our past I think some of us have to work that those issues out don't we where we have our past like me perhaps growing up in 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 the same sort of family as Jacob God's wrestling those things out in me um, and that's true, isn't it? But he, why is he wrestling with him? Because he wants him to become so dependent upon God. Because in order for him to go and face his past, in order for him to face Esau, he needs to meet with God first and to wrestle with him. So this wrestling match really is the icing on the cake for Jacob. He, he, he's all the deception, all of that manipulation, all of that do-it-myself, he's saying, actually, I'm going to wrestle that out of you now And then what does he do? He dislocates his hip. Can you imagine that? So here is Jacob. Esau's coming, in in his mind, coming to kill him, and now he can't even run away. So he's like, actually, I am totally dependent upon the Lord. Do you know, I just... This week has been... Actually, the last two weeks have been very difficult for me. Um, There's lots going on in my life, in the life of, of the fellowship in ministry. And I kind of felt like Jacob, you know, where I've tr- done everything I can, put everything in place, and you still think there's nothing I can do to solve it. Nothing. And actually, that's the time where God comes and wrestles with you and says, actually. And then by the end of it, I come back from X Y I'm like, Lord, I can't do anything. You're going to have to do it. Isn't that, isn't that where God wants us? So I always say, hallelujah. I'm more at peace now. I'm more confident in Him. And I think God is saying that to our fellowships, isn't He? He's saying, you need to learn to be dependent upon me because I am committed to you. I've spoken a lot. But here we have, he's now ready to face his past because he's wrestled with God. God has given him a new identity. He's learned to become dependent upon him. And he, then instead of putting his family in front, he goes and falls straight at the feet of Esau. And then he falls, Esau runs up to him. He probably thinks he was going to kill him, but he runs up to him. Wraps his arms around him and kisses him on the neck. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? So much so that Jacob sees God in the most unexpected places in the face of the one who was the one who wanted to kill him. That's good. Does that remind you of a New Testament passage where Esau comes running with his arms open wide and he comes and kisses him? It's the prodigal son, isn't it? And I was, speaking about, I was speaking about that this morning. That is God, isn't it? And I was just saying this morning, like, same with us. If we are in a place where we've messed up, if we are in a place where we have been weak, if we are in a place where perhaps we've backslidden somewhat, God is the one like this, saying, actually, come. You are forgiven. You are my son. I'm for you, not against you. And I think some, some, sometimes we really need to hear that in that amazing... In, in this amazing passage and in, in the New Testament. That's great, isn't it? So let me just... I've spoken enough, but there's my reflections on it. I would say this, you're not a product of your past, just like Jacob is not a product of, of his past. God has given you a new identity. You're not... He doesn't give you a badge of your old life. He's given you a new identity, and He's committed to you, even though you're flawed. I say hallelujah to that, because, you know, I'm not perfect... <laughs> And knowing that God is committed to me regardless, and he's going to work those things out. That's not to say that we don't honour God, that we don't want to obey God. That's not what I'm saying. But he's committed to me as his child. And sometimes he does have to wrestle with us, and it's not easy. And why does he do it? Because he wants us to learn to be dependent upon him so that we can face the next trial a little bit easier. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for that verse. And Lord, just that reflection on it, Lord, just what you've spoken to me over these last few weeks, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are for us, even though, Lord, we struggle sometimes. You're committed to working your purposes out in our own individual lives, but working our purposes out, Lord, as a church. We thank you for that promise, Lord, and we praise you for it. And Lord, sometimes it is hard. Life is hard, but ministry is hard. But Lord, we thank you that you're teaching us through it. You said, count it all joy when you go through various trials because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And we thank you for the lessons of life, Lord. We thank you for the lessons in ministry that we learn to be more like Christ and be dependent upon you each and every day. Amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me ramble for the last 20 minutes. I wasn't that long, was I? That's okay. Uh, You're going to get an early home.